Hey everyone, this is episode 21 of the Trail Mix Podcast. When I arrived at Arizona State to pursue a career in sports broadcasting, I knew next to nothing about how to be a journalist. I couldn't write, I couldn't use a camera, I didn't know how to interview people, or white balance, or connect audio cables, or edit video, or snap pictures, or get quotes, or track voiceovers, all of that. I was basically as fresh as the fruit you buy at Whole Foods when I came into this industry. And what happens when you start something you've never done before? You learn hard lessons. And I've had my fair share of mix-ups, errors, and dumb decisions along the way. And I had plenty of stories of people in disbelief that I didn't know something so elementary to them, or drawing the ire of me to relations guys when I stepped a boundary I didn't know was there. Now I'm not telling you this so you can feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this because one of the main reasons I stuck with it is due to guys like Connor Smith. For journalists, broadcasters, basically anyone in the media, there is no relationship more important than one with the people who work in media relations. People like Connor are the gatekeepers, and they hold the most important key for us, access. Access to athletes, access to coaches, access to the kinds of stories that win us media guys praise and raise our profile. Establish a relationship with the media guys, and they become friendly to you like a familiar bartender at your local spot. Inquiring about how you're doing whenever they get a free moment in passing in the annals of the arenas and stadiums during games or practices. But get on their bad side, or worse, try to work around them for a story, and they can be as stubborn as a bouncer outside of a nightclub. At ASU, we call them SIDs, which stands for Sports Information Directors but they go by different names in different places. The work they put in behind the scenes is tireless. I know, because I've seen it firsthand in my three years at the school covering all kinds of Arizona State sports. And most of them have been nothing but helpful to me and my peers as we start our careers. And that's why I want to highlight as many of them as I can on this podcast this year. So this will be the second episode of this series. You might remember the first with Steve Rodriguez, the first SID I ever worked with when I covered women's basketball way back in my freshman year. I'm talking with media relations assistant Connor Smith about the state of Sun Devil Athletics, his career path, the new ASU multi-purpose arena opening soon that will house a surging hockey program, and some discussion on how his team wants ASU's recruiting violations investigation covered this fall. So here's episode 21 of this podcast with Connor Smith, and the second part of my ongoing series this year, where I will sit down with ASU's SIDs. Episode 20, and I'm really happy to have Connor Smith on as uh, my 20th guest that I've had on this podcast. I guess 21st, because I had a double podcast uh, for episode 8, but... This is the 20th episode of the Trail Mix podcast, and I've got with me Connor Smith, who's been uh, with ASU Media Relations since 2013, uh, interned in uh, since 2015, and then was hired in official role since 2019. And Connor, as you were telling me before the podcast, you've covered basically every Arizona State sport there is to cover. Yep, I have. And I started off, my first ever event I worked was a softball event, a uh, region, they hosted regionals. And it was in the middle of the heat. Um, and I got used to uh, how these events work. They're long and you sometimes you're outside and you're in the heat. But um, that was my first event. And then I worked the football season the next year and 
loved what I was doing. And so I had to get involved with the other sports. Um, and I followed all those sports growing up. So, um, it was uh, natural to want to work those sports. So, so you went to ASU, correct? Yes. So you, were you a Cronkite student? I was actually in the WP Carey school of business and my major was sports and media studies. Um, and then I actually got my master's, uh, last year, um, it was a master's in legal studies with an emphasis in sports business from the uh, law school at ASU, the Sandra Day O'Connor Law School. Um, so I'm a two-time graduate of Arizona State, and I couldn't have made a better decision. I had my mindset on Arizona State for a while. Uh, growing up, I was a fan of Arizona State, but my parents never pushed me there. They said, you know, explore your options, go where you want to go, what, what the best um, fit for you is. And so I looked a little bit during the application process at different schools that had good sports business programs. Um, but at the end of the day, like being in my own backyard, a place that I like to live, going to school with some friends, um, and then a good program that they actually added the year before I started at ASU. So they didn't have a sports and media studies program until uh, 2012. And so I was looking to... Um, how I was gonna figure out a way to uh, major in communications, but also have some classes that related to sports, but it ended up not being a problem because they added this major right before I got there. And so I was the second graduating class that went through that major. Um, and then the masters came after, um, after I graduated and, and, and was ended up being a GA in um, the media relations office. And um, so I, a, enjoyed my time at ASU and, and would recommend the WP Carey School to anybody. Worked closely with a lot of kids from the Cronkite School, obviously, too. So as you know, so um, have a lot of respect for that program as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I just kind of always assumed that if you were going into the media relations department at ASU, you'd come through Cronkite. So there was never really uh, any desire to be in front of the camera to commentate, uh, to be kind of like a, a writer or reporter, or, or was that something that you kind of went to ASU with something in mind? I had something in mind because I actually had been involved with the media relations office before I even went to ASU, which we'll get into, I'm sure. But, um, I, uh, I had some, definitely some interest in commentating or like broadcasting, but I realized, um, that my skill set more fit the um, behind the scenes role. Um, this face is a behind the scenes face, um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I uh, I wanted to be involved with sports somehow, and and it's not really doesn't even feel like a job to me. But I did have initial interest in, in broadcasting, and of course had a lot of friends in the Cronkite School or were going to the Cronkite School. And I knew all of the, the great things that it, it had to offer. Um, but I ended up just wanting to see, I, initially I wasn't set on sports and media studies, but that's what I started with. And after a year um, in the program, I realized this is what was the best fit for me. But yeah, I definitely had interest in journalism, but more like from like a commentary role, like a, like a play-by-play guy. Yeah. Uh, that would have been like maybe something I explored I still do it in my couch at home. So that's, uh, that's basically my extent of play by play. I can, I can talk to myself and do it. <laughs> yeah. So you cover just about the widest range of sports uh, at Arizona state. I know it's kind of hard to pick, but if you had like a favorite that you covered, what would it be? 
favorite that I've covered is um, the favorite event uh, that is, is an easy and cliche answer, but football is my favorite event to work just because that all that goes into it. It's a, a total team effort in our office and there's a lot of um, preparation leading up during that week and then the weeks before. Heck, we're even starting right now in, in June preparing for, you know, games at the end of August, early September. So just because of the amount of effort that goes in, it's really rewarding when you actually get to work the football game. Plus, it's just a great atmosphere um, and, and a great experience. You meet a lot of people from, the, uh, you know, media members from around the country, uh, SIDs from different the schools you're playing. Um, so you, it's a great opportunity to network as well. But in terms of my favorite sport, I've got a soft spot for baseball. Yeah, um, I just I played baseball growing up. Um, and so like for some reason in ASU baseball, there's no tradition like it. And so um, that and I grew up going to games. So, yeah, the, that that would probably be my favorite sport. But it's really hard to pick. Um, all of them are great. And that's part of um, my mindset going into um, when I got my internship was a lot of these sports don't get the attention they deserve or they don't get the staffing that they need. And so there's a lot of opportunities for me to um, work these smaller sports and get more responsibility because of the lack of, you know, um, demand for uh, working those events. We get plenty of people that want to work football and basketball, but um, those smaller sports, I found a niche where I was able to slide in and become a little more, uh, get more responsibility and get more hands-on experience. But yeah. Yeah, it, I want to talk about ASU baseball because that's a, a sport that I covered. Saw you there a lot up in the press box. I mean, this was about as up and down a roller coaster season as you can have for a baseball team. You lose two pitchers to Tommy John. Um, you have to replace one of the best crops of players that ASU's had in a long time. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of new guys, a lot of freshmen, and. and almost everybody steps up and, and exceeds expectations, especially guys like Sean McClain, Hunter Haas, Ethan Lawn, and, and people that go to ASU know who I'm talking about, but people that, that don't even know anything about ASU, but watch baseball. I mean, these are names that you're going to start hearing about a couple years from now, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a ton of young talent and a lot of guys that um, you, like you said, uh, exceeded expectations or were thrust into roles they weren't necessarily expecting to be in and were handled it perfectly and, and were entered in there smoothly. But yeah, like a guy like Sean McClain has the lineage, you know, his brother was a first round pick, ended up choosing to go to UCLA, but he, he knows exactly, you know, what it takes to get to the next level. Um, he's got the genes. He's got a lot of, lot, like a lot of in his packet, you know, he's got speed, he's got power, He's good at defense. Um, he found a position, you know, at second base, which was good to see. But, you know, and you had, I think it all came back around to like the, the leadership on the team. You know, you had Drew Swift, who's been here, been through some tough times at ASU, you know, his freshman year, but stuck around and, and was able to tell, like, basically be a role model of how you fight through adversity. You know, he's been there, an example of that. And Sam Ferry, guys like that, um, that have, we're in leadership roles, but yeah. So Sean McLean is definitely a guy. Ethan Long, I was I talked to several people close to the program. You know Jeff Metcalf, who talked, who has covered ASU baseball for twenty plus years. Yeah. Randy Randy Polakar, a former SID um, for ASU baseball in the mid two thousands. 
Um, and then of course, Tim Healy, the play-by-play -play voice, just a few of the names that I ran by. Have you ever seen a stretch like Ethan Long is putting together when he had that stretch of uh, 12 home runs in 13 games? And all of them said, no, no, like no question. This is the greatest stretch of, of hitting, power hitting we've ever seen in ASU baseball. And so, I mean, for him to be surpassing some of the names he did on the freshman list and just in terms of how many home runs and the amount of games, um, he's in rare elite company and it should only, you know, get better from here. He, he was trying to pitch and hit. And so he was, you know, if he ever focuses on one or the other, I think he's got a lot of potential, um, but he already is um, very good. He's just scratching the surface though, in terms of his um, approach at the plate and things like that. But the maturity of his, his, his um, at bats is one thing that I noticed he goes opposite field a lot. He's got insane opposite field power. He doesn't get pull happy. You know, he, even though he has the power to hit it 450 feet to left field, he goes with the pitch the most impressive one was the, the walk-off home run against Oregon state where yeah. he's against an all American closer. Who's a senior who had pitched in the college world series. And he's a true freshman coming up to the plate um, in a pressure situation. Your team is relying on you to come through and he hits a three run homer. And, and that might've been my favorite moment since I've been covering ASU base, like from, since I've been from the media side um, with ASU baseball. So, but yeah, so those are some of the guys and of course, um, our, our pitching staff, like you said, there was um, Justin Fall stepped up and ate a lot of innings for us, which was huge. Um, and so, and we'll get a lot of guys coming back, you know, from their injuries. So that's going to be exciting to see how they, they recover. And so, but like Tyler Thornton too, um, he, if once, if he could keep the ball in the park, you know, that, that was his one issue, but you know, he had, had some really good outings there. So, um, and so, yeah, those guys uh, really uh, stepped up and took on more innings than they were kind of expected to. And in Justin's case, they weren't sure if he's going to be the closer or what. And so he ends up being a starter and ends up giving us a nice year. So, but yeah, so a lot of young guys that are ex going to be exciting for ASU fans for years to come and uh, some really good kids coming in that, you know, we're not necessarily allowed to come on, comment on yet, but um yeah, so another good recruiting class, of course. Uh, um, that one, that speaks for itself. When you're ASU baseball, you know, you get to kind of pick the kids that you want to come here instead of trying to recruit them here. So that that's a luxury yeah. of being a coach there. But yeah, so just uh, a lot of young guys and, and that uh, should be exciting for ASU fans and also good guys, you know, having dealt with them off the field. Ethan Long's a high quality human, you know, he didn't let the... Um, the hype get to him and get to his head. He was still, you know, humble and, and gave us the time, you know, that, you know, cause he obviously had a lot of demand once he went on that street, he was doing interviews and answering questions um, the way we wanted them answered in terms of, you know, not being too um, cocky, giving credit to his teammates. And so, and same with Sean McLean, um, well-spoken. Um, so that it's nice too, when you have guys like that from a media relations standpoint, so good on and off the field and in the classroom too. Yeah. I love learning more about the personalities of, of the players. I mean, you learn uh, over the course of the season, Ethan Lawn was a big fan of like Talladega Knights, for example. <laughs> I mean, what, what are some of the stories that are just the guys in the clubhouse that 
you just learned information about that you're like oh that is that's actually really interesting I wouldn't even have thought that or or that's that's kind of funny that you are so into Talladega Nights you bring the Ricky Bobby mentality to the plate dude the way we find out that a lot of this stuff and from my experience is on these road trips so um for example, Jeremy gets a lot of these human interest stories um, on these baseball road trips, especially if they're on a bus for six hours, you know, you get to learn a lot about the people around you. So for in my shoes, like uh, a, a funny story is uh, my first ever trip with the lacrosse team. I, we went to uh, the, the road trip in lacrosse is you go to Oregon and Colorado is the, the, the travel partners. So we went to Oregon and won our game against Oregon. And then we went to Colorado and lost. But the, after the um, game, I, we found out our flight was canceled back to Tempe from Boulder to Tempe. And so we were trying to figure out a way to get back to Tempe. And it's a travel party of about 40 for a lacrosse team. So it's not easy to find 40 open seats on a plane. Anyways, long story short, we end up taking a bus back from Boulder to Tempe my first road trip ever with lacrosse and it's a 16 hour bus ride back through east or western new mexico which isn't there isn't much to see <laughs> but let's just say i got to know my team a lot better when you're sit, stuck in a bus for 16 hours um and so that's a lot where we learn a lot of the things about like the quirks or the the human interest side like about our team is on these road trips when there's a lot of downtime they're stuck with you, you know, in, in a bus or in, you know, hotel room or, you know, before the game, pregame stuff. And um, so, you you know, you get to know them a lot better. And, and so that's like how, you know, Jeremy finds out about Ethan and his um, interests. And then, you know, of course, he wore some funny shirts to the press conferences, too. So those are things like we learn about him, like, oh, he's got a sense of humor with his style, you know, like he, he, he's not afraid he's confident in himself. He's not afraid to wear silly stuff and, you know, be uh, play into the jokes. And so, but yeah, that's kind of how we find out that stuff is, is getting some quality time with them on the road. And cause at home, you know, they have their lives. They're at, they're going to class, they're in school, they're going uh, with their friends. You know, there's very few times we actually, besides interviews or when we go to practice that we get to talk to them. And those aren't really chances either because they're being interviewed or they're playing like they're practicing so um those are the best times to get to know the players is on those road trips yeah and also just from the times that i've emailed back and forth with you and, and met with you you seem to know a lot of people that aren't just playing at asu currently but have played asu in the past was that something that you picked up just from your time there as a student and then starting out or how do you meet the athletes that have been there previously? Is there just a vast network that you're tapping into? There is a, there is a network and we're lucky that um, the two people that are heads of our department, Mark Brand and Doug Tamaro have been there for Mark's case. It's thir over 30 years now and Doug's 25 plus. So um, they recognize a lot. Like I name drop a lot with those two and say, Hey, do you remember so-and-so? And then that kind of is a conversation starter or they, they connect on my behalf and get this, it, get it going, you know, the connection there. Um, and because they knew, remembered them from when they were actually student athletes in at ASU and in, you know, they were working in our office. So that we're very fortunate to have those two people that you just 
say their name. It's amazing the amount of people that know them, not just at ASU, but throughout the country. Once you work that many years and you come across a lot of different people, but the re specifically for me, the reason I know a lot about ASU sports in general and former ASU athletes is because um, I've been going to ASU sporting events since birth. Um, my first ASU sporting event was a ASU men's basketball game against Cal. I was born in late November and it was two weeks after my birth in early December. Um, it was a game against Cal. My parents had season tickets to uh, men's and women's basketball, football, baseball, and softball growing up. And that was for, for, for about the first 10 years of my life. And then once I started playing sports, the investment wasn't necessarily worth it anymore just because we weren't getting down there as much. But so first 10 years of my life, I saw pretty much, well, definitely every football game, but pretty much every basketball and baseball game. So I grew up just watching, knowing those players as, as if they were my idols, you know? So, yeah. um, and same thing for the other sports, honestly, too. Like specifically, I work with women's golf. I had followed all our, our women's golf program since I was a very little kid because they were our best program. You know, yeah. they had won six titles in the nineties. So I was like always intrigued by their program. So that's how I know a lot of the former players. But um, the other thing too, is uh, you and specifically women's golf's case and for the programs like women's basketball or tennis, women's tennis that have had a coach there for a while, the coaches um, are able to either connect on your behalf or they, they are still involved with the, the former players are still involved with the program because of the coach is still there. So with women's golf, that's the same thing. Missy was an assistant coach for um, before she was even the head coach. So she's been there since 2005, I think. So a lot of the players that played under her still come back and, and uh, talk with the team. And, and I actually still communicate with occasionally too. So it's, it's nice. It's, it's honestly a dream come true to be able to talk to some of the people I'm able to yeah. talk to people that I idolized growing up and, and have a lot of respect for because of what they accomplished. I mean, yeah, you have a job, but it's, it's cool. I mean, it's something that like you obviously uh, take a lot of care for and, and it has to be very cool to talk to athletes that you grew up watching. Who are some of the people that you grew up watching that now you get to talk to on, on kind of a consistent basis? Yeah, well, not necessarily consistent, but um, a person that was like my favorite player growing up was Dustin Bedroya, former ASU baseball player and Red Sox, obviously famous Red Sox player. Yeah, um, he was my favorite player growing up and I've now got to meet him three different times, not, we're not in a relationship where we can, can communicate, you know, but right. like, that was a moment I'll never forget, you know, he knows your name. Yeah. Um, who knows, but yeah. uh, getting to meet him though, was a dream come true and something I'll never forget. Another name that I got to meet and um, talk with for a little bit was Barry Bonds when he came back and visited about three or four years ago. And that's obviously a legend. So, yeah, uh, but probably the biggest example of this and I might be forgetting somebody, but um, is our, our former women's golf coach, Linda Volstead. Um, she won six uh, national titles, which is the most of any um, women's golf coach or Arizona state coach. And so she is a legend around these parts. And when I became the SID, you know, one of the, of women's golfs, one of the first things, you know, 
I tried to do was make sure to build a relationship with coach V is what we call her. Um, because one, I just, I thought that would be a person that, you know, would be great to get to know and have on my side because of the pull, amount of pull she has and just the amount of weight, you know, her name carries, but also um, because of the way she treats people and the reputation she has, like, she's a really good person. You wouldn't know she's won six titles. She acts, you know, treats everyone the same and is super uh, respectful and kind. So, uh, and so I needed to, you know, meet her and find out for myself. Anyways, I built a really strong relationship with her and am able to talk to her about life, advice for jobs, obviously golf, the game of golf too, like, like picking her brain of like, what, what do we need to do or what, what's going wrong or what's going right? Like, and so that's probably the one that stands out the most to me is like, and someone that, you know, is in her sixties or whatever, and is a little older than me. Um, but we still managed to have common ground and have something, you know, to relate to because of the women's golf program and our love for ASU. So that's the one that stands out to me, but there's several other like former players, like a, a Madison Curley, for example, who I know you've talked to before, yeah. um, who, was on our national championship team and now is doing some great things with um, her. She's in social media now. Um, she just got hired with the Cleveland Cavaliers as a full-time social media person. So, and getting to hear those stories of success with student athletes you worked with and you know, you hope you had an impact on is, is what makes the job worth it. And it, and like you mentioned, it doesn't even feel like a job. Um, this, I never treated it like a job, even though I take it very seriously and take a lot of pride in it, but um, it, it's really fun. And our, our rewards are th things like that, like, you know, student athletes becoming like maturing and becoming, um, develop, developing into young men and women. And so, and I'm just, you know, beginning to start to see that stuff because I just started, you know, as a full-time person, but the other rewarding part is the events working. The actual events is what I tell everyone is the most rewarding part of the job. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about football because you mentioned that you grew up going to basically every ASU football home game. Uh, th this team coming up uh, in the fall of 2021 uh, with the momentum the program has built um, and with the players they've acquired, the coaching staff, uh, there seems to be a lot of good vibes going around the program. They finished the year strong last year. Obviously, they stepped over Arizona 70 to 7, which was great. Uh, everybody here enjoyed that. I'm sure you enjoyed that as well. I want to ask though, were you old enough to kind of appreciate the 96 team? Does, is there any parallels between this fall and, and that team that went undefeated, went to the Rose Bowl, uh, came up a couple plays short against Ohio State from a national title? Do you see any kind of comparisons or am I a little too optimistic? So here's the situation. I was born in 95, so I was like six months old or actually more like three months old when we went to the Rose Bowl. My dad was at the Rose Bowl and he'll never forget that because yeah. we were very close, as you said. Um, but I've studied the Rose Bowl team, of course, and, um, and studied this team, obviously. Um, the big thing about the Rose Bowl teams, and, and I think it's just in general for college football nowadays, is the trenches. Um, offensive and defensive lines were really, really good on those Rose Bowl teams. And then the leadership was the other aspect. Uh, um, you had Jake Plummer, Pat Tillman, 
Jeremy Stott, lots of guys too that I'm not even mentioned that were leaders on that team. But um, this team has the trenches and the leadership very similar to, to um, the 96 team. Now it's hard for me, like you said, hard for me to actually compare, you know, apples to apples, but from what I've seen, this is the best offensive line we've had in a long time. Um, probably, I can't even remember, maybe 2013, um, but it's a really good offensive line and, you know, with some experience on it. And then our defensive line is very good as well. You got Lole and DJ Davidson, guys like that, that are returning. Um, and then Tyler Johnson, of course. So that's the one thing that stood out to me is in the trenches, we have, or we are as good as we've been in a long time. Um, and that is a very important part of college football, uh, winning the battle in the trenches. Uh, um, a reason, you know, that sometimes we, we fall short is, you know, losing that in the trenches and you, you see Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, every year they have draft picks that are linemen and D linemen. So I think that's important. And then the leadership part is the other aspect because of this COVID situation and the amount of people we have coming back that weren't supposed to even be here. We've got Chase Lucas, obviously who's been here six years now. He knows exactly what to, you know, to expect and how to, to uh, teach and, you know, how to bring these young guys along. You've got Deandre Pierce who hasn't been here as long, but he's been in college for five years now, six, maybe even six years. Um, you've got on the offensive side of the ball, of course, Jaden's the leader of that, that side of the ball and he's now more comfortable than ever being a leader because he's been here three years now he the guys respect him um he's more physically mature and emotionally mature and so that bodes well for you know he's taken over in huddles he's um, calling people out on defense because he knows he has the respect of the team and that people will listen to what he's saying and so he's a big part of the offense and then of course like donovan west is a guy that I have a lot of admiration for um, because he got thrust in a role as a true freshman that um, not a lot of true freshmen play interior offensive line like that. And you're going against 350 pound grown men and you were just blocking, you know, 200 pounders in high school, you know, six months ago. So his freshman year, you know, he trial by fire kind of thing, but he did well. And now he's, he's the one that's the, the, the uh, physically matured, you know, um, developed offensive lineman that's doing that to freshman or sophomore defensive linemen. So uh, he's definitely a leader by example more so um, with his work ethic and his, um, his studying of the playbook and things like that. Uh, and so guys like that. And then of course uh, someone that I've seen become more acclimated with the locker room now, now he's been here a little longer is Kellen Deesh. Um, kid that you know didn't play a lot as at Texas A&M but now that he's played he's gained confidence in himself and he knows that I'm you know one of the older guys in here so he's stepped up into a leadership role and the competition between the O-line and D-line is tremendous I mean you know guys that have been here a while and have a lot of pride and so the one-on-ones and the 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 five-on-five stuff or four-on-five stuff has been awesome you know in the in the spring so so the schedule for this year, it's it's tough, but there doesn't really seem to be a game that stands out to me that I circle and go, well, they're probably going to lose that game. Yeah, they're probably going to lose that game. I look at the first two games, Southern Utah, UNLV, probably going to be wins. But then 
after BYU, which might be a, a really tough game depending on how they turn over the roster. Obviously, they lose Zach Wilson. Uh, he's the number two pick in the draft. He goes to the Jets. Then you start conference play. Colorado, UCLA, Stanford, Utah on the road, Washington State at home, USC at home, Washington on the road, Oregon State on the road, and then Arizona at home. What are the games that kind of stand out to you as, as the games that are probably going to be the closest contested? And and then I'll, I'll just throw this out. I have ASU going 10-2 and two this year. Is, do you think that's a, a realistic number? Yeah, I think some of the toughest games that we're going to face is obviously that BYU game will be our first against, you know, a Power 5 quality opponent. Not nothing against Southern Utah or UNLV, but they're um, built rebuilding. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have a BYU team that's breaking in a new quarterback, obviously, but on the road and they're a very uh, physical team. So that will be a good test for us uh, to see where we stand in terms of, you know, uh, where we're going to go into the Pac-12 conference. And there is just no easy game in the Pac-12 conference. I mean, everyone's going to give you a battle. Um, and so I, I can foresee, you know, a lot of these games being very close, but that at Utah game, you know, we always have uh, very uh, close games with them and it's become, you know, sort of a rivalry in a sense where they're both contenders in the Pac-12 South. That's one game that stands out to me. And then the uh, USC home game, I know they'll be extra motivated for that one just because of how the game went, you know, in LA, they think they, you know, hat, you know, OM one here, but it's easier said than done. That's a very talented USC team with a kid and Caden Slovis, who's from the Valley. So, you know, he's going to want to play well here. He actually went to the same high school as I did. And um, his dad was my math teacher in middle school, <laughs> but yeah. So I've known the kid for a while in terms of like from afar, I've watched him. Never did I think he'd be the USC starting quarterback, but he has worked very hard to do what he's done. Um, and so that's awesome. And that will be a very um, tough game. And then at Washington, the next very next week in November. So Washington, Seattle in November, if it's sunny, I'll be shocked. Um, and that is a probably going to be an end up being a night game, depending on how good the teams are. So uh, it will be tough from a weather standpoint and an opponent standpoint at a place I've never been, but I've heard it's a very loud place and a very cool place to play though, um, right on the lake. And of course, like I said, all these games are going to be tough, um, tough. So uh, 10 and two, I'd love, I'd take that. Um, but it may be a little optimistic, but I love, I love that optimism. I personally um, think that way as well, you know, like in terms yeah. of trying to think optimistically. So. Yeah, I, I mean, there are. It, it's the nature of the Pac-12 that it nothing is ever chalk in this conference. I mean, it's very possible the ASU sweeps the tough games, USC, Washington, Utah, and, and then they drop Colorado and Washington State. It's just the nature of the conference. Um, but that that's what I got right now. The last ASU sport I want to talk to you about um, before kind of we switch gears is is hockey. I, I mean, nobody outside of ASU understands why this, and, and honestly, Connor, I don't even understand it. How does a college hockey team in Tempe, Arizona become one of the top programs in the nation where they're consistently competing against states that actually, you know, get snow and, and 
places. I mean, Arizona does get snow, but way, way up north, Flagstaff, places like that. I mean, we're in the desert. And, and yet, uh, you know, Greg Powers and that team, they've turned themselves into a perennial contender, not just one fluke season. Yeah, I was following the team when, even dating back to when they were a club sport. Um, they had always been a pretty good club sport, you know, top 10 perennially in the uh, ACHA, which is the club association that they played in. But um, and actually Coach Powers played for the team when it was a club team and had them in the top five and like made a run in the tournament but they could never get over that hump. And so I think I don't, my years are going to be off on this, but 2012, 13 range, they made like the final four each year and then lost like either in the final four and the national championship. I can't remember exactly, but they got to the very, like as close as you can get without winning it. And I want to say it was 2014 that they finally broke through and won the national title. And it obviously a club national title, yeah. but it was so exciting. Like, you know, even some of the casual ASU fans got in on, get up, got in on it and like, were commenting about it. And so it picked up some steam a little bit and more people started paying attention to be like, Oh, this isn't a fluke. Like they've been good for a while. And then they finally won the national title. Um, and so I actually have a, a Jersey from that year. Um, after they won the national title, they sold a bunch of uh, special edition jerseys that have like a national title patch. And um, so I have one of those jerseys um, from when they won the club championship and I cherish that thing. Little did I know at the time that in a couple of years, we would be sponsoring a hockey program. And, and, and so how that happened basically, and this is a great story for Cronkite kids to you know, realize what kind of impact and influence you can have is a kid named Justin Emerson that I was good friends with at, um, at Cronkite and was covering the hockey team. He ended up um, scheduling a meeting, an interview with Ray and about the club program. We weren't actually like officially allowed to comment or like recognize the club championship. So like we didn't tweet from our accounts, like national championship. It was just this club, you know, hockey account that, that was brought, you know, promoting it. Anyways, the meeting with Ray Anderson or the interview with Ray Anderson, Justin talked about like, all the success the program has had, um, compared it to a few other of the newer programs that it's just started like Alabama Huntsville um, and people like that and teams like that. And, and then also some of the like more West Coast teams like Air Force and Denver and Colorado College and, and laid out some things about like, hey, this is maybe more feasible than people thought of getting a program started, like a D1 program. Here's what it takes, like kind of stuff. And, and here's the requirements. And so Ray, you know, after that interview, um, Ray thought about it. Ray Anderson thought about it and, and talked to his team and talked to a few boosters and ended up being able to raise $30 million to start the hockey program. And that was based on, you know, this interview that he did with a Cronkite student about the hockey team. And he, you know, kind of, I think, realized in that he probably already had thought about it, but realized how maybe easy or not easy, but it's maybe easier than originally anticipated. So they ended up getting the donations they needed, which if they people hadn't donated, it doesn't happen. So that was huge. The boosters and, and donors that did that um, $30 million started a hockey program. And so that first year was the transition year. And so we, um, we're still in like the club technically. So we didn't actually staff any of the home events for that year. 
Um, but we need that the next year we were going to. And so this was when Mitch Terrell was in charge of the hockey program. And I was just an intern at the time. And so he, he got put in charge of it for the very first year. Well, we actually had a year to prepare while they were doing their transition year. And so uh, the first game hockey, ASU hockey game, I, um, since then, after the announcement I went to is we needed to learn how to do the stats. Um, we actually didn't have anyone to do live stats um, to do the stat inputting. And so uh, we needed to learn. So we went down to Tucson um, when they played U of A and it might've been the last time we ever played U of A because we were still in that transition year and we're allowed to play them. Um, we went down to Tucson Convention Center. We went on the team bus, me, Mitch, and uh, Chris, who was, has been our stat guy since the beginning too. And we took the computer down there and learned how to do the stats. And, you know, it, you don't learn it in one game, but we tried and did, that was our first attempt. And then we, I think we won that game eight to one or something like wow. that. And they, they were crushing U of A to begin with, but because they had had the momentum of like, oh, we're becoming D1. They had already gotten some kids that um, trans D1 transfers that were on that team. So like they crushed U of A. Um, and that was the last time we ever played them. And that's a great way to go out. But yeah. so that was the first time I had ever like learned the stats of the hockey team. And it goes on to where now I have worked pretty much every home game the last since they've been a D1 team and done the stats, um, either been inputting or calling for the stats, um, a live stats, uh, stat broadcast system. Um, so I, I, I grew up never really um, watching hockey that much or caring that much about hockey because in Arizona, it's not as big as it is in you know Midwest or East Coast. Um, so I didn't know a lot about it. I had to learn. And it's funny to think about it where I was five years ago when I didn't really even know the terminology and now, like, I've been doing the stats for ASU hockey. So, um, but, yeah, it's uh, weird that a team out here in Tempe um, came together. But because of the success of the club team, that, um, that kind of catapulted things. And then a big donation later, you know, they decided, all right, like, we can do this. And then it's just escalated from there, obviously. Like, the Oceanside has, you know, never been the – proper place for them to be right but it it did its job it got us through you know <laughs> this period the and now they're getting a nice there. new yeah <laughs> and they're getting a nice new facility for them which is going to elevate the program even more but um they've got the great recruiting pitch of bringing kids out here when it's snowing back east and saying hey you want to go to the pool and and you know 75 degree weather you know that's been working for them and a lot of the kids i've worked with on the ho hockey team have mentioned that as being one of the key factors um that uh um so yeah hockey's been a great experience for me i've worked all, like pretty much every home game the last five years including some at gila river arena um some of those tournaments that we had like the desert hockey classic and then um might have froze on you jet am i good yeah you're chilling okay cool and then um i've been gone on some road trips which has been awesome um when mitch has had conflicts i've been able to go to some road trips uh went to penn state um and they beat ended up beating penn state and that was their first year of full d1 and they beat a top 10 team in penn state um i went to uh omaha i've actually been to omaha twice when they've played nebraska omaha 
Um, and then I went to Air Force, uh, which was fun. So I've been to some unique places. And then I also went to Brown. Never thought I'd be in Rhode Island um, covering the ASU hockey team, but I was. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's split. I, and then the people I meet there, you know, people I never would have crossed paths with before, but, you know, I name dropped, hey, do you know Doug Tamaro or Mark Brand? Oh, yeah, I remember them from back when I was working at, you know, UCLA. Like, it's just, they know everyone. So, <laughs> like, it's amazing that uh, that's why I like working in the office. I do. I think I'm in the right place if you got people with the amount of respect um, in charge that they do in charge. So, but yeah, the hockey's been an awesome experience um, and uh, never thought I'd be working ASU hockey, you know. That's not something, you know, I followed too closely growing up until the club team got, com you know, more competitive. And then, so yeah. Uh, and getting to work with the student athletes has been a lot of fun too, like Johnny Walker, obviously. And so uh, Joey Decord, people like that, um, that now are in the NHL, you know, they're going to be in the NHL. So, yeah. Yeah. So what can you tell me about the new stadium? Because, you know, it's, as you mentioned, and I can attest to, and anybody that's been inside Oceanside, it's like a, a walk-in Costco freezer. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a time. I mean, the, the ceiling is low. It's, yeah. it's your standard local ice rink, but it's not where a division one team should be playing. Um, and since I arrived um, for my freshman year in 2018, there's been talk about a hockey arena. Now, where's that at now? Yeah. So it's been um, a long process, obviously a lot of conversations, but just a funny story about um, Oceanside is uh we will have games. This has happened dozens of times where we finish up our seven o'clock game on a Saturday and we're writing a recap doing, you know, wrapping up things up there with the quotes and stuff. And, um, well, the beer league teams will start playing, um, at like 10 o'clock, they have a 10 o'clock game and they'll play right as soon as we're done and we'll be in attendance for the beer league games. But that just shows you like Oceanside, you know, it's the community rink. So you share ice with, you know, the, the uh, young, the youth hockey players, and then obviously the old hockey players. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the arena, it's like you said, there's been a lot of conversations. There was talks about sharing one with the Coyotes, if they were going to build a new one. That fell through um, a couple other things about would they build a multi-purpose with basketball or what? And so ended up just deciding that the best one was they're going to do a multi-purpose arena with hockey, volleyball, or excuse me, hockey, gymnastics, and wrestling. Hockey, gymnastics, and wrestling are going to call that home. And man, it's a nice place from like the renderings that I've seen. Obviously, it's not done. You know, they're just putting up the uh, skeleton of it right now. But it's a great location. Start off with that. It's a great location right by Wells Fargo, right across the street, um, right across Packer Drive, right next to Packer Stadium and Sun Angel Stadium, which is the track. So you're right there, right next to campus where a lot of the students are. Um, so that checks a big box of you should get a good student turnout. Right. Um, location. And then obviously the uh, quality of the arena that they plan. Oh my gosh. They're, you know, spending quite a bit of money on it, but it's a, it's a magnificent place and it's a big upgrade from um, what they had previously. So you won't have to wear three layers of sweaters um, for this one. It should be climate controlled, you know, where it's cool for hockey but not as cold as it was. And that just is because of the space too. You know, it's a bigger space, which the heat distribution is uh, different in a bigger space. But um, 
it's uh, you won't have to wear as much uh yeah as many yeah. layers but and then so hockey is what they had in mind you know initially kind of what it's built for they you know for the pipe they have the pipes in there and stuff and it's going to be great they have suites for for the fans these stated are really nice suites um a new press box which cronkite kids will be happy to know there's going to be a new press box no more standing shoulder to shoulder having to pick one representative from you know each um outlet to you know go to the game there should be more room for the press um and that from our perspective that's great because that that will attract more national people here you know maybe there was a uh you know writer in the past that said you know i've I, I no room for me or you know I'd have to sit in the stands no I'm not going to go there but now there's these nice press box you know we should be attract more media we can do more from a tv standpoint too so but um and the technology in the arena allows that too for um you know replays in in, in like there's going to be a video screen for replay wow. which you take for granted now we don't see a single replay in hockey um you usually should so uh, it'd be nice. And that, and this goes for all the sports too, which I was going to get into was wrestling. It's a huge opportunity for wrestling. They are able to get a lot of people at their game or at their matches, especially when they get a big time opponent like Penn state or Missouri or like a top 10 team like that. Um, and so they have a little bit um, more reasonable size for them to sell out an arena. Now, like they could legitimately sell that out as will hockey, obviously too. Um, and then gymnastics is probably, you know, the biggest benefit of it, um, just because they're actually going to build a specific or not specifically um, gymnastics, but have locker rooms for them to use and yeah. stuff like that instead of sharing space. And they're going to have their own space um, and they're able to, you know, promote that arena, brand new arena they've been able to get a lot of big time names, you know, schools here too. Um, and so like Oklahoma, they I think they have Oklahoma scheduled in the future. So like, they're going to be able to get, and that's the other thing with hockey, you're going to be able to bring in teams that didn't necessarily want, want to come here because of the arena situation. Now they're signing up left and right. I mean, powers is having to say no to teams because they want to come here because it's a cool experience for their guys, you know, to come out to a state like this. A lot of them haven't been here. Um, in fact, it's maybe a little dangerous for them because we've gotten transfers here before that played here the year prior, like on a road trip and fell in love with it and decided, Oh, well, I got options, but I mean, I really like that weather out there. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's the thing. And so, but this new arena, the location, the technology, the, um, the um, amount of, uh, new equipment and stuff that they're going to get and, and and the fan experience will be second to none at our games you know it's going to be a video board you know concept nice new concessions and bathrooms and and so you know really nice and and it's a more intimate feel it's about i don't know exactly what they settled on around five thousand seats so um that will be given an intimate feel about what half of what wells fargo or desert financial arena yeah. is um and so little more intimate feel but a little more opportunity to sell out too um because it's a little easier to get to that 5,000 number but yeah hockey's I know a few recruit they they take the recruits to the construction site and they show them the renderings and that's sealed the deal on some guys you know that we wouldn't normally be in the conversation with but now that we're we've got the facilities to match you know the weather and and 
and of course, you know, Coach Powers has been here since the beginning. So um, that's become a huge recruiting tool for all three of those sports, but uh, specifically hockey. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I started this podcast kind of introducing uh, you and, and how long you've been working with ASU Media Relations. Uh, but I kind of I kind of want to get, you know, the, the four or five minute story about how you ended up uh, where you were. You started out as a, a student WP Carey Business School, obviously. So how did you kind of find yourself into this position? Sure. Yeah, it goes a little bit further back than that. So I, I was a sophomore in high school and my English, my English teacher had assigned us a project. And the project was you had to interview um, someone in a field that you're in a career field that you're interested in going into. And so I, um, at that point, I'd always wanted to go to ASU and somehow be involved with ASU athletics. So at that point, I was a sophomore in high school, and I knew I wasn't going to be on an ASU athletics team. I wasn't good enough or athletic enough. So I was thinking of ways how I could be a part of the athletic department without um, being a student athlete. And so a couple of things came to mind. And, and, and one thing that I've, has been like a personal career goal of mine is being like a, an assistant or associate athletic director eventually. Um, but so, but that isn't really um, like that can involve a lot of different things. Like there's associate athletic director of communications or of finance. So, um, but basically my dad worked at ASU right out of college as in, in not in athletics, but as an auditor. And he ha had worked with the athletic department during his time and had came into contact with Mark Brand, who's the assistant athletic director for communications. And he said, you know, if you're interested in going into being an associate AD or assistant AD, I, I happen to know this guy. Why don't you email him with your questions and, you know, see if he'll answer your questions and do an interview with you. And that was the project we had to do an interview and then write a paper about why, what we learned basically from the interview. Right. So I sent him the interview. And of course, now knowing Mark, he sends back these incredible answers in depth, you know, took the time out to give me all the knowledge and dropping all the knowledge. But at the very end, he'd mentioned something about, hey, um, we are always looking for summer help um, in interns in the summer. Like if you're interested, you know, why don't you come in and, and interview or talk to Maggie, uh, my assistant, one of my assistants, and maybe you can get an internship with us. And I was a sophomore in high school. So I was like, oh, what? Like, I don't know if you, you know, you probably are hiring students, but I said, okay. But I was thinking that to myself, but I responded and said, oh yeah, I'm very interested. Like, and I got in touch with Maggie and got a um, Maggie Emmons and got an interview set up. And she's uh, since no longer with Sundial Athletics, but that was like the person I met with very first. And so I was, let's see, I was 15 at the time. Wow. That was my first job interview, job interview. Like I treated it as a job interview. So I got um, all dressed up, tie, um, you know, long sleeve button up, slacks. And I, my dad was going over things with me the night before saying, all right, here's how interviews go. Like here, here's the questions they might ask. Like, what are you going to say? And I had my resume printed out, even though there was like one thing on it that... <laughs> So like, cause I was still in sophomore in high school right. and I go in and long story short, the conversation leads to like, basically you have the job. Um, there is no like real pro interview process. It's just more like we are talking expectations. 
So I was kind of like, oh, I, I have the job. Like, we don't even need to interview. Like, I have so, this resume. Right. And I, I got all dressed up. Yeah. So he went into like, here's what we do, our interns do. And I mean, of course, ask like if I'm a student or not. And then found out, oh, I'm in high school. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to ask um, compliance if it's okay if you work in our office. Well, it was okay. Um, and so as long as I wasn't getting paid, obviously, you know. Right. Um, and so I started that summer. Well, actually that May. So it was the second semester of high school. So this was, project was probably around March or April. And I started in May at that softball regional I had brought up earlier. That was my first ever event. And I was literally sitting there at a computer pressing balls and strikes like for the score, like for a digital scoreboard they were using. It was a very tedious and like yeah. low effort, low, <laughs> didn't require a lot. But I was so, so happy to be there at a softball regional for free, like in a working yeah. capacity. I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, love the softball program growing up, like very, very passionate about that. But um, so I was like, this is kind of cool. And like that made me want to do that summer internship they had brought up. So I, I, um, I emailed back and said, hey, like, can I go ahead and come in? And, there, and Maggie was like, yeah, go ahead and set up some office hours. So I went in that summer at 15 years old, starting at like every Tuesday, Thursday, I think it was. So just twice a week that summer and just stayed consistent with it though. Like I was there every time on time do. And then like, they couldn't find things for me to do. Like in terms of like, they didn't know what I could do because yeah. I was still 15. Like I had no skills in like much else than besides Word, Microsoft Word and Excel. So they'd say, oh, do you know Photoshop? No, I don't know Photoshop or InDesign. No, I don't know. So <laughs> it was a process to learn all that. But um, so they gave me small, like tedious research tasks or, you know, write this recap um, like from a game from last year and then we'll edit it for you so you can learn how like so it's just small things at first. Um, and then um, I started my junior year of high school and but they were like, hey, you know, we'd like to keep you on for more than just the summer. I, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought this was just a summer thing, but they're like, we want to keep you longer than just the summer. You want to help us with during football season. So that was the first year. And I think it was Todd Graham's second year um, as the coach. Um, I worked the, the football games. Um, yeah. It might've been his first year. It, it actually was his first year. I, I worked every home football game and that, that got me the bug. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, I love doing this. Even though I was literally just doing the participation. So whoever came in the game, I put an X next to them to mark that they played. Um, but it was once again, something that, you know, a low end intern would do, but still important. Uh, and so I was like slowly, but surely worked my way to getting more responsibilities that during that football season. And then really what took off was my senior year. I was um, able to, I had enough credits where I was able to do a half day of class. So I got out around 1230 of high school, my senior year, and went to the office pretty much every day after. And, and so I lived in Scottsdale and it was in Tempe. So it was a 25, 30 minute drive every time. So a lot of sacrifices of gas and time mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but worth it um, because that's what ended up getting me me getting on their radar more is I was consistently in there a presence in the office and they were starting to give trust me with more things and um, I was lucky enough to get under the wing of Jeremy Hawks in our 
um, SID department who has taught me a lot about the statistics, uh, the stat broadcast stuff that we do. Um, and so now I'm able to do that for lacrosse on my own. And I've worked the fo football games and, and bass. I've done pretty much every stat system there is. Um, but he, I was able to get under his wing and learn a little more about stats my senior year of high school, slowly but surely getting um, more responsibility and trust. And then finally, I graduate high school and I'm able to pretty, I, and I moved to Tempe and after, so I graduated high school in 2014, May of 2014, and I moved to Tempe to start, you know, living in the dorms um, in uh, the eight, August of 2014. And then that's when I started being able to walk to work and like not having to drive from Scottsdale to Tempe. It was a game changer for me, yeah. especially for working events. That was probably the biggest difference because I had gone in the office pretty much a lot um, before that, but working events and not having to come, you know, down for a 7 PM basketball game, you know, and traffic and stuff um, was a big game changer. And I worked everything. I worked football, basketball, obviously, but I worked swimming and diving. I worked water polo I worked um you know all these different smaller smaller sports but still important like I had mentioned before um just to make sure like they knew I was committed to this and that I wasn't um I wasn't like favoring one sport or the other I didn't have a specific preference I can do anything especially when I started finding out at those smaller sports, they give you a lot more responsibility. And this is the same exact thing for Cronkite kids too. I mean, you'll find out like, just cause you don't get, you know, you're not the sixth person on football. It might be more important to be the beat reporter for a track and field or something like that, because you get to know one they get to know the SID better and the, the student athletes, you never know who's going to go on and make the Olympics from, you know, sports like that. Um, but you're going to also get more uh, experience that way because you're the main beat person. So instead of being, don't be disappointed if you're not the football or basketball or, you know, cause there's so many of those people. Yeah. It, it, I would, I, my, one piece of advice that I would recommend is, 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 you know, finding a niche with the sport that is a little smaller and, and, you know, building that relationship with that SID, but you'll get a lot more access and, and opportunities that way. But so I, I started working everything my freshman year, like just going to every event and yada. So fast forward three years of that working in the office nonstop. I mean, hard, hard work, finding out exactly what it is to be an SID, but not even close to yeah. what I, what I, I thought I knew, but now I know, and yeah. it's not even close. So finally my senior year, um, I was starting to look for jobs, obviously, because that's when you, well, junior year, I was starting to look, but senior year, I was getting really serious into looking for jobs. And I, I knew our department well enough to know there's not going to be an opening, um, anytime soon. So I was trying to think of how, how I was, what I was going to do in my future. One thing that helped out is they gave me my own sport for the first time. So all those sports I mentioned before, I was working in like a, just to help like a secondary capacity, you know, as a helper and, and never my responsibility, my main sport, um, the primary contact of, but that changed my senior year when I got water polo and they put me in charge of water polo, which was something I had no idea about or no, no before I worked it as a student, 
luckily I had, I had worked it as a student and that's why they gave it to me is because I knew how to do the stats for water polo and what water polo was. Not a lot of people, <laughs> you take yeah. it for granted, knowing baseball, basketball, football off the top of your head and the nuances and stuff like that. But water polo, the, um, not a lot of people doing that out here. So um, that was a great experience to be my, like my first full season with a sport, working with a coach directly, working with players directly, you know, setting up interviews, um, nominating for player of the week, writing all the releases, recaps, um, and human interest stories and stuff like that. Um, that was my first chance at it. And it was only, I only had one sport and that got, gave me a lot of confidence to believe in like, all right, I can do this. Like I was able to handle water polo and I loved, loved doing it. It didn't like deter me from it. Um, despite it being, you know, a challenge. And so I was like, all right, maybe this is something I can do. So I always had my doubts of if I was actually able to do this because I, I mean, I went to school kind of for this, but not like there's more specific PR programs that I could have gone to um, or, you know, gone through. And so I wasn't always sure until that, like my senior year when I got water polo, I asked, this is what I want to do. And so I got to get a job though. And there's not really a lot of uh, openings um, we have seven in our full-time people in our department. So that it doesn't give you a lot of opportunities. If, and then those two people I mentioned, Mark and Doug had been there so long, right. they're not going anywhere. So I was trying to do the math. There's no, there's no openings for me. So I had some interest from some places I'm born and raised in Arizona. So it would have been tough for me to leave Arizona. That's why I was hoping it, something would happen with ASU. So I got interest from places like Wofford, in South Carolina. Um, they wanted me to come out and interview. And then Pacific was another job in California. So a little closer, but in Northern California, uh, no offers for jobs, but like interview or like, and, and I was obviously hope with my resume, I'd get an offer, but I, I ended up turning those two down in terms of just not even interviewing just because I really wanted to stay here. That was a little too like soon for me to move away. Um, and so I talked to to Doug, who does a lot of the hiring in our office and said, is there any way for me to stay um, with the uh, department without um, being a full-time person? Cause I know there's no openings. And so he mentioned there's that we do have two graduate assistant positions. And one of them happened to be leaving while I, when I was coming in, or when, when I was about to graduate. And so I thought about it for a little bit. And then I thought this, pretty much my only chance to stay with the department and keep the relationships I had spent now five years building. Um, and so I accepted that graduate assistant job um, um, position and, and uh, enrolled in the um, law, sports law and business program at um, MSLB program um, at Sandra Day O'Connor Law School. And I, they, uh, with the GA position, they pay for your school and so I was getting, or at least some of your tuition. So I was getting um, that at least paid for and instead of, a, you know, getting a salary, which helped a little bit. Um, and so I was a GA and they switched me over to lacrosse. The GA that had left was doing lacrosse. So they, you know, made, it made sense for me to take it over. And so that was um, another adjustment for me because lacrosse is not very common out here. 
very much like hockey. It's a Midwest East coast sport. And I had even less knowledge of lacrosse than I did hockey because it's not even on TV, you know, or in pro, there's not a really a big pro market for it, pro professional market for it. So, um, I had to do a lot of learning for lacrosse and that, that gave me the confidence that you can give me any sport and I'll be fine. Like I'll be able to pick it up and, and learn it. And so lacrosse, I was a lacrosse, um, SID for my one, my first year. And it was a two-year program for my GA, um, for my uh, master's program, excuse me. So, um, I was going to stay two years as a GA and they had agreed that that was fine. Um, and so I get through my first year with lacrosse and that was my first time traveling with the team. Cause with water polo, I actually didn't travel. They only went to like Southern California a couple of times, whereas lacrosse goes, um, all over the country. So I got to travel with the team. I had, I ended up in Oregon, Stanford, Cal, Colorado, and then out of conference, we went to Liberty and Presbyterian never thought I'd end up in Clinton, South Carolina, but I was. Um, and then Liberty was in Lynchburg, Virginia. So places like unique places, I get to see the country with this job, which is a, another benefit of it. Um, places I'd never think of going or want to go really, but <laughs> um, yeah. And so I did that and I got really good experience with lacrosse. I mean, it was probably the most, the biggest year of growth for me was that year with the being a GA um, and handling lacrosse. Um, and I, a lot of lessons learned too. And then at the very, so it was end of April, maybe even mid-April, our women's golf SID and she did wrestling um, and a few other sports left to take another job. Um, and so they needed someone to cover the women's golf team when they were going to um, NCAA. Well, actually it was first event was Pac-12 championships. So she left right before the Pac-12 championships. And so um because I had the least amount, I guess, going on, because um, lacrosse had just ended, they lost in the Pac-12 tournament. Or actually, no, they were still going on, but the season was about to end. And so uh, they put me on women's golf and said, hey, you, you take over from here. There's only a few more events left. Um, you, you do women's golf. And so once again, a new sport that I'm having to learn, at least I had a little more familiarity. And I knew a lot about the history of the women's golf program, too. Um, and how dominant it had been. So I was super excited for the opportunity. And I first event that I didn't wasn't at it, but I was covering was the Pac-12 championships and Olivia Mahaffey, one of our golfers, won yeah. the Pac-12 individual title. And so that was cool to kind of be able to cover that. Well, actually I was in the middle of statting a home lacrosse game while she won the won Pac-12 title. So someone had to help me clip the do the clips and stuff um while i was at the lacrosse game but it was still cool to like see her win that and and the media attention and stuff that went with it that was a great experience for me learning how to deal with that and then the best probably the best experience um maybe best road trip i should say not best experience was the uh, they let me go with the women's golf team to the national championships so they um, went to Norman, the Norman Regional and finished well enough to get to the national championships, which is hosted in Fayetteville, Arkansas that year, 2019. Okay. Um, yeah, 2019, excuse me. So that was like my first NCAA championship event too. So like I had barely even met the, the team and I'm now like covering them and following yeah. them on the course for every hole pretty much. 
I didn't know how to cover a golf event either. I never covered one in person. I just, you know, did the whole golf stat refresh, you know, that's how we track them from home if they're not, you know, on TV, which they rarely are. So yeah, I actually was in person able to cover the team. I walked more miles that, that, that three, four, uh, three days yeah. than I ever had in my life. It was a lot of walking on a golf course and there's no carts for people. Um, so I did a lot of walking, but it was a great experience. I learned how to cover golf, how to cover an NCAA championship event, met people from all over the country there because everybody, pretty much everyone sends their SID from 24 different schools that are invited to or make the national championship. So I got to meet a lot of people that actually were, I just got to re meet a couple or last month with the, the next women's golf championship. So, but that gave me a lot of confidence and also turned some heads of people that make decisions in my department or above my department that said, Oh, he can handle stuff like that. And, and I guess, you know, just from the feedback I got, I was doing a great job of what I was doing with the coverage um, actually took it another step above of what they were getting with their full-time person. Hmm. And so there, so that summer, you know, I was so working very hard on a GA um, well, you don't get paid if you're GA in the summer, but I still worked every, I've worked every summer, despite usually not getting paid for it until I got a full-time job. Um, and so I worked that summer and was hoping to gosh, like I would get that, the um, job that had been vacated, the women's golf job. And so I applied for it and the, they didn't give me any like preference. It was just like a normal process. I had to go through the interview, interview with Doug and stuff and, ended up getting chosen, which I was lucky to do. So I did a year at GA and then um, got a, my full-time job at the end of July of 2019. And uh, they gave me women's golf. I kept lacrosse because I had built a nice rapport up with them. Um, well, I had built a good rapport up with the coaching staff. They ended up getting fired. So that was another lesson learned of like, you know, that's just part of the business. You know, you'll I invested a lot of time and effort into building a relationship with the previous coaching staff. My, my first coaches that I travel with, you know, spent a lot of time with them, cared about, and then they get fired and then you have to start over fresh with a new coaching staff. But anyways, I got to keep lacrosse one because, or another reason why is because I'm pretty much the only person in the state that knows how to do lacrosse stats, like on the system that we have, but so I got lacrosse, women's golf, and then, you know, they said, you know, stick, stick with your, you know, football stuff and hockey and all that, that you already help out with. So that was when I got my full-time gig in July of 2019 and just got in, you know, the flow of things before, you know, everything shut down um, in, in March. But, uh, and so I believe it was around that time when things got shut down that I got added triathlon. So I've had triathlon for about a year. Um, and so those are my three sports. Um, it could be changing soon. I don't want to break any news, but um, so, but I love doing what I'm like, my, my sports that I'm doing. And, and so, um, and I love working any sport at ASU really. So yeah, like you see me at baseball too. So I'll, I'll, I'll be at anything. <laughs> yeah. I, you are, you are a hard worker. It's, it's a visible it's, it's visible, but it's just being present Thanks, in, Jack. in the arena. That was, that was probably a little long of an answer, but wanted to explain it all. 
Yeah. And it was, I mean, you covered it from start to finish. Um, It's, it's an incredible career path how you started uh, from high school, worked your way up. Um, It's too bad. You don't want to break the news on this podcast about the sports that you're going to Oh, I mean, it's not too much breaking news. It's um, I'm just going to be a secondary football contact now. Congratulations. Um, an official title. So that means I'll be able to travel on the road with them and um, help with interviews more, even though I, I did that already. But just kind of a more of official way of saying you're a secondary football with Mark as the primary and Jeremy as the other secondary. Yeah. And these departments, football, it's an all hands on deck thing. So just because yeah. we're football entitled doesn't mean other people don't help out tremendously you know with that stuff um it's all like i said all hands on deck but it's the most fun like that year we won the pac-12 champion or pac-12 south um i worked every home game and man that team was fun to follow um and funny enough i actually went to the pac-12 championship game in person like as a fan even though i had worked that whole season i was like i can't miss this opportunity having grown up being a fan I got to go to the game as a fan. So me and my parents went and it, it was a tough one, but it was a fun atmosphere. That was one of the loudest Sun Devil stadiums has ever been. And that was before they cut down on the capacity too. Yeah. Um, but it was very loud, a great atmosphere. That was when Stanford had um, um, Stefan Taylor was their good guy like that year. Yeah. Um, and they just physical. And yeah, so. Yeah, but, I, uh, I remember that Stanford team. Yeah, that was a good, good Stanford team. They ended up playing Michigan State in the Rose Bowl and losing. Yeah. I was like, there's no way they lose to Michigan State. Yeah. And I was like kind of hoping we are like excited when Michigan State won the Big Ten because I was like, oh, we'll pl- if we win, we'll play Michigan State and we might be able to beat them. I mean, they're not like that good, but yeah, come on. They were pretty good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they end up beating you know, Stanford, who, you know, physically whooped us so yeah but you don't take those like i mentioned before you don't take those moments for granted because you don't know when those are going to come back and that's something i've learned like you know i that pac-12 championship game that was the last time it was hosted on a campus yeah so they moved it to the neutral site so no one will ever be able to host a home and i think we have the record for most attended pac-12 championship and that won't change because they like the stadiums they play at aren't big enough so yeah or the neutral site, it's just tough to get yeah you know, sell out, but nobody cares. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I completely understand that. I, I do remember those teams, uh, especially growing up in the Bay Area and then growing up, my mom went to Michigan. So we've okay. always been anti Michigan State, anti Ohio right. State. <laughs> uh that was tough watching Michigan State beat Stanford, but I I didn't even have a connection to Arizona State at the, at the time, but I was okay. like, oh, this would be great if the Sun Devils could go to the Rose Bowl. And, you know, right. they play Michigan State. So I, I felt the same way that you did. I had no idea that Michigan State was going to go, was about to embark on the run that they did, where they ended up going to the college football playoff and had those four to five years of success. But, yeah. I mean, it, it all came full circle for the Sun Devils. They ended up going 2-0 against Michigan yeah. State, State down the road. Uh, Connor, I want to ask you, you yeah. know, with um, – with kids that come into the Cronkite school, uh, especially people like me, um, when I entered the Cronkite school, I didn't do any internships. I didn't do, uh, I didn't do journalism in high school. I, I really had like about as less as experience as possible. I called games on the radio for my high school f- football team. 
uh it was like a small fm station that really only broadcast to the parking lot um the parents but, uh, yeah exactly like the parents that just wanted to sit outside um and so you know because I, I was a theater guy in high school because i i wanted to improve stage presence and, and camera presence and and so when I came in, I, I had no idea anything about the world of media relations and, and how to get in contact with athletes. And, and, you know, when people come in, it's, it's, it's an experience of, you have to get to know the media relations people. You have to establish a relationship with them because the relationship uh, with people in media relations, that's going to get you the access to the athletes that you want. And also, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where we can be teammates, but also, you know, you'd never want to step over that boundary with the media relations guys. So when you talk about bringing in uh, new Cronkite kids, what are the first things that you want them to know about dealing with SIDs, media relation guys? Yeah. Um, first of all, like for the most part, Cronkite kids are amazing to deal with and you learn, you guys learn a lot of valuable things that you, in the, your first year that you can apply um, immediately towards what you're doing. And so um, they teach you well at Cronkite. But the, some of the things that I would recommend um, doing is um, if you get a beat or if you get um, an assignment for a project, the sooner you can reach out, the better. Um, that gives us more time to, uh, to either get you an interview or you know, respond to you if, if you're just introducing yourself. And um, the big thing would be just consistency. Um, we get a lot of people that uh, either for a class project or, you know, they get, they switch what they want to do or whatever it may be. We get a lot of people that start the season gung-ho about covering a, a sport and we go out of our way to get these interviews done and get, get them set up with what they need. And, and so they're, you know, um, they have the adequate information and resources. Um, and then we don't see them again once that project ends or they get assigned a new thing. So consistency is extremely important and something we notice. Um, and when we're trying to diff, we get a lot of, uh, especially for the biggest, bigger sports, we get a ton of media requests. So when we're trying to differentiate like who needs what and who deserves to, that priority, because there's only so many hours a day for these guys to talk to you, we look at have they been around? Have they, you know, made attempt to reach out and been in contact with us? Have they followed our rules and everything like that, um, that we've set forth? And like I said, for the most part, we have a lot, we, we have a ton of success, but where I've seen people go wrong is, um, the lack of like where you just are, you know, hitting them up either at the beginning of, it works both ways, beginning of the semester or at the end of the semester, when you're trying to you know, get a project together and you haven't been there all year to cover the team. And now you want three interviews. Um, yeah. So that, that kind of does bug us a little bit when, when, you know, you haven't been around and that we'll, we'll, we will reward the people that have been around and, and stick with the sport. And that goes back to what I was saying about sometimes the smaller sports, you know, you're able to be in charge of the smaller sport and it's your own. And then you work your way up after that. But once you prove you can handle one of those smaller sports, um, or Olympic sports, uh, then you get more opportunities that way. But another thing I, I just say, I don't know where I'm exactly going with this, but um, a big thing is 
you get told that a taught in Cronkite that you're your own, you're, you're your best advocate or you're your best like um, supporter, advertiser, whatever it may be. And so I see a lot of um, egos. I run a lot by a lot of egos that they think they're really great and they come from a, a high school journalism program or, you know, had broadcasted in the past. And so they come in with this already and then they're they got into Cronkite which is a big deal and that's why I have a ton of respect for all the students that get into Cronkite but it'd be a big piece of advice is check that ego at the door know that you're now a small fish in a big pond and there's a lot of talented people that are going to get opportunities ahead of you just because they're upperclassmen you know and they may not be as talented as you and and you'll have your chances to prove that but I see a lot of, and it's more freshmen and sophomores that, you know, don't learn, learn their lesson yet, but right. a lot of, um, you know, egos that maybe they aren't happy when they can't get an interview and, and then they send a snarky email back or right. um, they maybe um, send you an email the night before something happens and expect you to, you know, email that back that night and like, are rude when you don't get back to them, um, sure. stuff like that, that, um, but really, and being careful of like the tone you're using in your emails, because it's hard when you're communicating over email, you can't necessarily tell if someone's mad or upset, like they could just be genuinely just like letting you know something, but it comes off as rude or, you know, so just be careful yeah. with the tone of your emails. Um, but, uh, cause there's been some that like, I will get up and call, uh, I will call them and be like, did you really mean to say that? And they're like, no, no, this is what I meant. Like, so yeah. like sometimes email gets lost or text, same thing. Like when you're not face to face with someone, it can get lost in translation, translation. So, but, um, big thing would be like, yeah, like communication in advance, like on things, like if you need something interviews, like the more time we have, the, uh, the more, um, chance you'll get, you know, have the, at getting that interview. Um, or that getting that request fulfilled. Um, and then also uh, just, I guess um, more specifically, like in post-game press conferences and stuff like that, um, ask educated questions. It's, it sounds simple, but like you can, we can tell and we talk in our office about people that are, yeah, um, you know, questions, yeah like, or just very generic, like didn't watch the game, but have a question mm -hmm. that they need to ask or something like that. Or same in the same vein, you know, asking questions and making it obvious they're angling for a story. And sometimes that's good if it's a, like a positive, you know, human interest story. So example, like, you know, asking someone about their mom, if they're really close to their mom, you know, that that's fine. But um, sometimes it gets to where like they, like, for example, like, um, like if there's recruiting allegations or stuff like that, sure. they're not allowed to talk about that, but they may try and angle them into like phrasing it a different way to try and back them into answering it, you know? So right. things like that, that you, you may think you're outsmarting us, but we, well, not me, but my boss knows all the tricks, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask you about that because yeah. I mean, this is something that is going to come up both on my side and on your side for the sure. fall, there is an investigation going on 
against Arizona State involving yeah. recruiting allegations and, and something that I'm sure you can't really go into depth about. It's something that really nobody can go into depth about because yeah. there's an investigation going on. That's right. how this country works. Now, so what is what did from your side? Um, because there are going to be a lot of people on my side, obviously, that are covering it. They're going to try to push and they're going to try to find the answers. But obviously, this is a moment, um, you know, for a young journalist where if you can break something, you're you're a hero. Um, you know, you're trying to be the next Woodward and Bernstein. And and so what is is there an appropriate way to approach allegations? Um, is is there a way that you would like this to go down in the fall? Um, yeah. I can answer that. And then I'll, I want, first want to touch on one of the things you said in a mentality that we absolutely don't like at all is the mentality that I'm going to snoop around and try and break something big. Like I'm going to get my one big story and, and then, you know, be out of here. Like, yeah, like that, that's not how it's not, one, it's not, not going to work. And two, um, you're actually going to be, it's going to work against you. Um, because we, it's happened here before, even as recently as like, since I've been here, where people um, may ask inappropriate questions or uh, engage inappropriately outside of like talking to us first and trying to get student athletes to answer stuff. And that will work against you, you know, um, that you, you will be quickly, um, you know, reprimanded. And so the, the nice, the great part about it is we have a awesome relationship because it makes sense to have an awesome relationship with the Cronkite School, our department specifically, like Brett Curland and Paula Bovin, like yeah. people that you guys, you know, are learning from, they are, we are really good friends with them. And like Doug specifically is super close with Brett. Um, and so we can give Brett and Paula a call if we see something that's going on and they can kind of correct it from their standpoint you know, since, cause we don't really have the authority to punish you guys or yeah. nor do we want to, you know, right. like we can do small stuff like, you know, not letting you interview someone or, you know, making it difficult to do something like cover a game, but we don't do those things. We just call Brett or Paul and say, Hey, here's what's going on. Can you fix it or talk to us about it? So that's, what's been great about um, our relationship with, with Cronkite is, is having them to work with about it. But in terms of the actual, you know, your, your question was, um, you know, we're not allowed to comment on it. Even department people, members of the department, but in terms of how to best ask the questions, if I'm just being blatantly honest, you're wasting your time. If you're going to ask the questions, okay. Cause we are going to, um, have them prepared for those questions. And the simple answer is they can't comment on it. Um, and so, that is where we've left it uh, with everybody. Um, now we can't force them not to speak because that is against the law. Right. So they still have the ability, but we're going to try and train them, you know, which every department media relations department does like, you know, here's what they're going to ask you and here's what your answer needs to be. So that's just a background, some background information on media. It's not like these guys are going in blind and, mm -hmm. and we'll be kind of like, answering on a will on a whim, a whim. Sure. they're going to be prepared with statements that are you know not very um detailed and yeah or i should say vague and like don't give you anything to go with so um i guess you, you know your your best angle you know some of the angles might be you know like 
instead of talking about the um, implications of the season or whatever, maybe you like interview our compliance department about how violations work and how they, because they can talk about gen in generic stuff like that. And maybe you find an angle through that, you know, it's worth, worth a shot, you know, stuff like that, that um, they can't comment on the specific investigation, but they may be able to comment on other investigations that are like this, or you reach out to another school's um, compliance that has been through similar things, you know, that hey, maybe what, what are they looking at or, and those schools can comment because it's not their investigation. So things like that, um, like there are other resources to use, except, you know, obviously everyone wants Herm's comments or Jaden's comments or AP's comments, and that's just not going to happen. I'll just let, be frank with you um, until, you know, there's a direction that we've been given. So uh, that, that's basically my advice is, is you'd be wasting your time. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask the question and I'll guarantee you it's going to get asked by somebody, yes. you know, like it, it could be Chris Cartman. It could be Doug Holler, you know, which. Yeah. And Doug no is problem. reporting. We have, yeah. Yeah. And we have no problem with the question being asked. We're not going to look at you dirty. You're not going to be mad. We're not going to hold it against you. We know it, it's part of it, you know, like it's part yeah. of the business and you guys are doing your jobs but we will have a way to combat that. So we cover our, we, we doing our jobs and, and we're covering our bases. So that's some background on that. Thanks for listening to that episode of the Trail Mix podcast. If you enjoyed it, awesome. And I hope you join me in the next episode. If you didn't enjoy it, that's okay. At least it's over and you never have to listen to another one again. But if you are a fan of this podcast, then I have an announcement. I'm going to be releasing another type of episode in conjunction with this podcast. It's called Snacks. And it's going to be a shorter version of these main episodes where I have on one guest and typically stick with that guest throughout the entire episode talking about their career path, their life, what interests they have. And this is a feature-style podcast that I've really enjoyed. I'm going to change it up a little bit with Snacks. It's going to be a little bit more of my voice, which... If you're a fan of this podcast, I hope you enjoy because you're going to be hearing a lot more of it. We're going to be having multiple guests on in one show, and we're going to be talking about a variety of topics, uh, not just kind of the ones we've been sticking to through the first 20 episodes. So I'm really excited to release Snacks. And here's a preview of the first episode of Snacks that I'm going to be releasing very soon. I had on Fox Sports and TSN's Mike DeCourcy to talk about the projected college football playoff expansion. My first reaction was significant surprise that they would move that boldly that quickly. I, college football's postseason has always moved at a glacial pace in terms of improvement. And so to, to now go from four, which was completely inadequate, to 12, which is more than a lot of people, including myself, had thought they would ever go to and therefore never called for it uh, or recently hadn't called for it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quite surprised. I thought that a realistic proposal to be more inclusive and, and to, to put together a, a postseason that would leave out few, if any, true contenders could be settled at eight with six automatic bids and two at-larges. I, I thought that that would be enough. For them to go past that to 12 
is a significant change. And I, I'm, I'm not totally in love with it, but it is so far beyond in terms of improvement what we've ever had in college football that I'm not, also not going to complain about the idea.